and welcome to our podcast, The Ups and Downs of a Small Business Owner, where we hope to show you exactly what it's like to grow a business. Hello, today I'm here with Steve Lloyd from The Exhibition Mastery. If you have a stand-up show, this is the man you need to speak to. Good morning. <clears throat> How would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? Good question. I think I'm a, I can be a bit of a geek at times. We've been having conversations just off record around some of the technology stuff. But I think for me, I'm quite passionate about stuff really. And I, to do specifically with exhibitions, I'm very passionate about the exhibition process and the, the, opportunity, the opportunity that it presents. Um, and I get quite annoyed when people don't take advantage of that opportunity or they waste that opportunity. Um, and then end up blaming the exhibition for it, which is not which is not quite right. So uh, that's sort of me in a nutshell to do with exhibitions. What am I like? Uh, I'm the business owner. I've been. I'm just trying to work out since 2010. I was when I actually started my own business, and I incorporated exhibition mastery during lockdown. And um, I'm a husband. I'm a father of three. Quite a well family orientated. I enjoy stuff. I'm a musician as well. If we get talking about music, that's probably where this podcast will end up going, as opposed to anything to do with my exhibitions. I'm a bass player, and that's me in a nutshell, really. I used to have hair. I don't anymore. I blame my children <laughs> for that. But yeah, so that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. I mean, it sounds quite busy. Yeah, having just explained that, I just think, okay, <laughs> you do a lot, then, Steve. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cramming that into a week sounds hectic. Um, yeah, it does. There's, I, I really enjoy helping people as well. So when, as, as part of the, the whole exhibition thing, there's always conversations with people, finding out when they're doing exhibitions, chastising them, they haven't done any preparation. Not mentioning any names here, <laughs> David. But, but also then just finding out what people are really, really struggling with in their business because exhibitions, for me, are a nexus. That's what you aim towards but there's lots of things that happen beforehand that actually make, make it successful. So a lot of the preparation, a lot of the thought, a lot of the approach, and that's, that's a lot where I come in because people don't think about that because it's not, their, it's not their world, but it's my world. And if they don't do those things, they, put, they actually risk making the exhibition not as good as they want it to be at their own fault and everyone's busy, everyone's got stuff that they want to do, they've all got families, they've all got hobbies, they've all got other stuff, but when you're actually doing any kind of exhibition things, you do really need to then do a lot of the planning and thinking, so. So how did you get into exhibitions in the first place? By accident, kinda? Sort of, I, I took a job at a project management consultancy in the early 2000s which feels like a very long time ago now, actually. And on my first day, I was welcomed in and I was doing my induction day. And on the second day, they handed me all of the sales brochures and said, read that, learn it, because tomorrow you're gonna to be at the stand at Project Challenge, which was the exhibition back then. And I was like, what? And this is project management consultancy using kind of high level, really high level thought pieces. It was at the time when project management was beginning to professionalize there was lots of jargon there was lots of stuff there was a very relatively small community it's not as big as it was as it is now and I had to then go and stand on a stand and then go and talk to experienced project managers and business owners 
to, to then say, basically, do you need any project management help in the most shortest possible terms? And I found that there was certain stories and certain elements and certain things that I could do that would be just enough to get them interested then then would move them to the next side. And within an hour of being on a stand, I was, f well, my boss at the time said I was flying with it. And I was very, very good. And that sort of began my journey. Throughout that, that company, I just took on more and more in terms of the exhibition, the exhibition management. And we were pulling in people from left, right and centre. We were getting through to, to people that we'd been meaning to work with for years. And actually, we were actually starting to work with it. And so that's, that's kind of where it all started. I'm a natural sorter. So I looked at the process of how we were doing it. And it was messy. So I streamlined it. I, and then got it down so rather than needing four days to prepare which we didn't really need we got it down to a day's worth of preparation up build do it then it was break down back into the office the next day and then half a day in terms of putting stuff away and so there was a whole load of different things that that kind of lent triggered on that and i just really enjoyed talking to people the challenge of finding someone and then figuring out within 30 seconds why are you here um and then they tell you it's like ah well, we can help you with that, or we can't. And then being able to say, oh, that's interesting. What are you doing with this? And, and developing the sales patter and your, your engagement conversations on the, on the stand so that people then either stopped in the first place, that's a challenge, but they also then opened up to you. You're, you're in a sales environment. You're going to be sold to when you walk into an exhibition. If you're a delegate, kind of accept that. But be open to those conversations and if you've got a good exhibitor they will they will draw out why you're there and if you and if you they can't help you they will move you along quickly well they should do anyway so when you when you went to that first exhibition i, I i've done a couple of exhibitions a long time ago before i met you so <laughs> i will now definitely come to you first but i remember the feeling of being nervous being scared mm. being intimidated mm. Did you have any of that? Initially, yes. I think there's a, the, the term imposter syndrome comes out of it. You are there trying to sell a product to someone who is far more experienced in executing the thing that you are trying to sell them because you're a salesperson. You're not, you're not that person. And I think I've, I, I've developed a, a mask costume or something that comes on the exhibition master so Steve becomes the exhibition master. Um, I wear a three-piece suit, with or without the jacket, um, with a shirt. Generally, I've, I don't wear a tie um, because that's just not me. Um, and that, and when I've got that on, it's kind of like right now. I'm ready. Here we go. That's your armor. Yeah, effectively. Say so does it as her stage persona. She is Sasha Fierce, and so when she goes out, she becomes that different person, and that's her performing person. Actors do it all the time when they come out, when they're actually then called to work. It's switch, switch on, and then they become the acting person that they do. Most people do that. If you then sit back and watch when they when you put them out of a situation that's social and then put them in a situation that's more corporate or more commercial, then all of a sudden this sort of this change happens sometimes it's very subtle sometimes it's very obvious but I think people we do wear an armor masks a kind of a costume to go right I can do this and then away you go so yeah nervous initially and nervous is really kind of how do you 
get people to, to, to stop? How do, you, how do you engage with them? And you, you learn, you learn very quickly what works and what doesn't, because what doesn't work is people keep walking by. What works is when people then stop and talk to you. And I kind of figured that out and developed it and looked more. So when I go to an exhibition, I'm quite well aware of the type of people that are going to be there, who else is there, what other exhibitors are going there, what the reason is for that. And the type of people that are coming by are going to range from A to Z, whatever, whatever that range is going to be. But I know where to then have that conversation. And just because they're there as a delegate does not mean they're any better than me or I'm any better than them. I have a product, I have a service that's going to help them if they are the right one. My job is to find out if they are the right person, if, if, if my product is right for that person. And so, and, and that's not a selling thing, that's a service thing. So it kind of comes back to my roots. I was customer service and then I moved into sales in terms of telemarketing a very long time ago. And we ended up being, we developed something called sales through service. It's, it's just a known concept. It's professionally helping your client find what they need, not necessarily what they want. And if, and if you have that attitude, and I've always had that attitude, it's a case of, if I can help you, I'm, I'm doing you a disservice if I'm not actually gonna show you my, my, my stuff. If you're still gonna say no, there are plenty more fish in the sea. So, it's the sort of the concept that goes around my head, really. Okay. You, you mentioned kind of employed work and going back to the beginning then, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it back right to the beginning. Gulp. How did, how did it all start? The work or exhibition mastering? I, I guess work. School, did A-levels, did A-levels because I didn't know really what else to do. University wasn't an option. Went into to warehouse work where I learned process. Goods come in, put them in a place, then goods go out. Be organised in your work, work area and workspace if you need something so you know where they are, all of that kind of thing. And then I got a, a telesales job for a company called Merchants in Milton Keynes. They got bought out for early 2000s but they had a really excellent reputation for training very very good telecommunicators and so I was put on it was the Barclay car project back then it was when cellular phones were starting to come into fashion and you just they used to just be a phone that was literally it and, a, and an address book if you owned a Barclay card you could get a, a, a BT was it a Cellnet Barclay card phone so we would take calls in on there and we'd have to then qualify quickly and then process and be very clear on stuff. And so that's where it all started. I like the telephone. The telephone works well. And I've mentioned I like the audio stuff. When you, when you, when you listen carefully, you can hear nuances in voices. And that's sort of where the genesis of that kind of came from. And I, I just developed from there, really. And then career-wise sort of worked through that to a team leadership status got another job somewhere else bad move got another job somewhere else and then the that company was bought out that was an amazing company it's called Hanko ATM Systems and they were bought out by Royal Bank of Scotland at the time and of course any kind of big corporate buyout ah oh, we love you for what it is we're not going to change everything we're not going to change anything because that's what we want except we'll change everything and there were some lots of different things that actually then changed and I got this opportunity to then go and work in this project management company and that was where I felt really at home um, and, and I have a feeling if we didn't have the credit crunch in 2008 
um, I would probably still be there now because um, I really enjoyed the work. I really enjoyed the people there. I learned so much, um, and they were, and it was dynamic. You could go to the CEO with a with a with an idea. So when it came to then like sorting out the process of exhibitions, I would just go to the, the sales operations or the ops director and say, I want to get this, I want to do this. Why? Well, because of that. Well, that's a good business case, away you go. So that's kind of where it all, all kind of went, went from there, really. And then got made redundant on that and then started my own business. <clears throat> Was it being made redundant that, that pushed you to start your own business? Yeah, got made redundant and then kind of like looked around and thought, do I want to go... So, so during the credit crunch, there was we had some government contracts, and so throughout the summer of the credit crunch, when everything was falling around, we were kind of sitting pretty-ish because the government contracts didn't stop until the following year. But in order to ensure that we had, we went on things like short-term working, short-term working. We were asked to actually come in voluntarily to try and help in terms of sales. There was salary sacrifice for some of the more senior paid people. Everyone was kind of pulling together to do something that would help save the company and and during that six months me the marketing director and the head of ops were working really closely we had campaigns going out every day we had all of these different things we'd end up having that that six months work was epic and it was awesome we got so many results coming through but unfortunately the sales cycle of that was quite long so by the time it came to then november at the time it was a case of sorry thanks very much bye we've got to let you all go because otherwise we're going to be in breach of, of contracts to do with payoffs and, and, and redundancy things yeah. and I found out that the following year of all of the work that we'd done in that six months ended up being in excess of two million pounds or something in terms of work it was a bit gutting as I was on a commission-based role at the time not working for the company you don't get commission but that six months we'd never worked harder smarter or more together and yet at the end of that with all of the thing that was on the table they still let me go along with another about 28 other people I mean we really shrunk and so we um, and that was the kind of a, I don't want to be in that position again I don't want to be in the position where someone tells me a whether I can go and see my kids at their school play B that if I work hard and I get the results or not that they can still control what happens in my future and I went for an interview for a sales management position for it was a telecommunications company and the expectations of what they wanted and the values that they held and I understand that's what they what they are now were so far against my own in terms of where the priorities were and what they wanted the manager to do with the people around it's just very 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 straight sales management but it wasn't what I, but it wasn't actually what I wanted to do and so I thought right what can I do and so a few conversations and stretching the network later I won a few small contracts and so I became a gun for hire and that's really what triggered it first year was like can can I make this work two was can I make this sustainable three is can I grow it and some various different other personal things have kind of put some barriers in terms of the growth I've wanted a lot of them my own but other stuff that's beyond my control and actually that's where it ended up being and I suppose whether or not I don't know if I'm unemployable now I've got a multitude of different skills but it's a case of I enjoy what I do and the ability to work with who I want to work with but yeah that's kind of where that all started 
I'm going to touch on it then. Comes to you at this point. In 2018, I realised I was really good at exhibitions, and I mean really good. I'm not just blowing smoke up up my own trumpet. It's yes, I'm mixing my metaphors. I've realised I'm really good at exhibitions, and why? working for a particular company and our stand was busy, engaged, we had queues, we had people coming through there, we were dealing with people and we didn't have, we, we hadn't gone down the glamour route, we had some fantastic stand hands, you know exactly what they were doing, they had great charisma, got fantastic management, the stand looked okay, it wasn't like eye-catching like, oh wow, that's amazing, it was just okay. But there were other stands all around us that had spent far more and they had no one on them but we had a crowd around i thought why is that and and I, during the lunch i, I took a, a walk around and and then saw that people weren't engaged they weren't doing stuff they were on their phones they were doing other things i thought well, this isn't right and it, and that's when kind of the penny the, the penny dropped so 2018 i started really looking into it and then um, I'd say halfway through 2019, I thought, do you know what? No, I need to niche into this. And I need to then go into this. So, wish I had the 2020 specs, the future specs on that one. So the end of 2020, sorry, the end of uh, 2019, I niched into um, exhibitions, started really pulling it, coined Exhibition Mastery, started really pushing it, networked, found people, we're gonna do launches, we're gonna do this. And we started at the beginning of 2020 with like, I, I'd never had more in terms of the pipeline than I'd, than I'd ever had. I was like, well, this is amazing, this is fantastic, this is it, hallelujah, at last. Um, and then of course, start hearing these things of this weird Chinese flu that's going on. And so then I keep in contact with my clients and then a couple of them say, yeah, we're just gonna, gonna hold off on that one. We're just gonna hold off on it. And we're like, ah. And then Boris at the time then says, nope, we're locking down. And that was, that was it. That, was, that went from tens of thousands of pounds in, in the very near future to zero straight away. And it's like, great time to niche, Steve. All well done. So, so that hit and that hit hard. That hit hard. And that, well, yeah, I look back on it now, it feels a bit surreal. But then having to then, the kids were at home. My wife also is self-employed, so how it works. So both of us self-employed at the time. And it was like, what on earth do we do? We pivoted, as much as I hate the word, but we pivoted my wife's business so she could still continue to work. And I ended up doing stuff at home with the kids. And then I was able to access a grant, which is fantastic. And that allowed me to then invest in the business a bit in terms of some infrastructure and some training and the training really opened up my eyes in terms of the sales process stuff that I did instinctively as to why it was working and to why I was so good at exhibitions and and that was like do you know what at the end of this we're all stuck inside no one's going to know how to do an exhibition so I incorporated exhibition mastery limited in the middle of lockdown number one in May 2020 and I incorporated it as a limited company that specializes in doing face-to-face -face events and exhibitions. And several of my friends said, you're mad, we're only ever gonna be virtual. And I was like, no, you just, just, just you wait, just you wait. And so that's kind of where that happened. Just ticking over, really over, uh, um, over lockdown. Um, exhibitions kind of opened up again in, in 2021 and I did some gun for hire stuff to see what the, the, how delegates were, how events were in terms of COVID rules. And I, I, I still enjoy doing stand stuff. It's still one of my favorite things to do. And seeing people 
that they fact that they they loved to be back but the people were there really wanted to be there less of the tire kickers it's all kind of gone back to normal now you get the people coming in with their their ikea bags trying to fill them up at the end of the, at the end of the show and now shows have actually some of them unfortunately some event companies have gone and some event people where people working in events sadly deci- decided that it was they took a, a very different way out which is devastating for the industry and their, themselves and families and all of this but it had such a heavy impact on others that coming out of it now events is now still one of the key if not the key way of business development that, that, that's come from it and I'd completely agree with you on that we we did a lot of virtual stuff during Covid actually ironically before Covid we built everything to be virtual that's where we were going that's what that's what I saw as the future mm-hmm. Covid hit we were forced to do it actually I didn't enjoy it I didn't I, I much prefer the face to face I don't like the online there's a there's a place and a time for it but mm-hmm. equally there's something a lot more appealing having a face-to-face conversation mm. you can you can read someone's body language you can read their facial expressions yeah. and everything like that we've come out of it and we've actually gone to more expos than we used to mm. and there's a big one that I, I think I've mentioned to you before digital accountancy show mm. it, it's wow um, it's impressive it's fintech there's a lot involved and we'll probably go into that at some point but we definitely need to have a conversation about that then. Okay. Yeah. I've, I've found that actually they are impressive mm. and that there's so much more to it. So mm. is our expos opening up again mm. and how are you finding that? Are people going back out and going to these events? Yes, they are. Delegate-wise, they're very busy. I did a an event earlier this year with it's the International Food Exhibition with a client and we did a huge it was a big undertaking and it was at London XL and I don't know if you know London XL it's a huge huge exhibition and there's two sides to it you've got south and north and they can then separate into separate halls or you can have one big one so this one was pretty much the entire side of London XL wow Uh, it's huge absolutely huge now what I've tend to what the trend I've seen happening is that you get they're combining the exhibitions now so that rather than it just being one part you're now getting several so IFE as it as it was had uh, um, a very specific plant-based uh, um, a, a non-meat area that was a couple of stands a few years ago was half a hall this time was actually massive this time around all the usual country pavilions but they also had they also had uh, a bar one specializing in bars and kind of and then hotel hospitality and hotel tech as well so all of these things were in the same exhibition underneath that that roof and that happens a lot there's one in november um called the great british business show that's also got glowing global and got another one and another and training and retract um refrain and uh i can't remember what it is now but it's they've also got like a training one and something else and something else so you're tending to get a much bigger bang for your buck when you go because you've got a much more wider diverse set of people that's coming through the doors which is a positive in terms of you're getting people through the doors the the the, the challenge is are they the right people for you and that's that is, that's a, a proper question you should always be asking this looks like a great expo so your big expo that you're thinking about going to that's great but does it only accountants that come through the doors or is it actually people who buy accountancy services 
So that's worth then establishing that because that'll be expensive, more expensive than you give it credit for. And if all you're doing is speaking to fellow accountants, well, that's great for networking and building business in a different way. But in terms of if, if, your, if your primary objective is to then go and get new clients or begin the relationship to develop new clients, then some of the big industry ones might not be right for you, but you still might need to be there because you need to be there. So there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of intangibles that kind of come when you actually then go to a, an exhibition, but that it's really just finding out what are your objectives for actually going, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to come back to your your business and I, I guess I, I think that's incredibly brave starting an exhibition company during COVID I don't think there's many people who would have been brave enough to do that brave or stupid I'm still not sure only time will tell yeah what's been your biggest failure oh wow oh wow I would say I'll use your terminology of the failure I would say I didn't I didn't act quick enough on a lot of the things that I discovered found out and did I didn't have the confidence in myself to then just go for it to just go for it I can I can look back and with a semi-objective view I can give reasons why some of them are Formula One driver excuses and by that I mean oh the car wasn't quick enough the tyres weren't warm enough there's no downforce you just didn't drive the car fast enough and but there are others that are very they're, they're very they're very genuine and very also personal in terms of you you couldn't kind of write it you really couldn't write it you, and you couldn't plan for it either and so but, but I think my biggest failure is being able to see and sense, sense that opportunity and being too hesitant and slightly fearful of then going for it and that's me being very honest right now so yeah and I'd, I'd say that happens a lot with business owners it, again you mentioned imposter syndrome and it comes back to that so flip that on its head then mm -hmm. what's your biggest success my biggest success it's still going really because it's exhibition mastery uh, taking but okay i'll try and phrase this so i don't sound pretentious i think my busy, bu biggest success all right commercially my business my biggest success was taking a company that had never exhibited well before they'd exhibited but they'd exhibited very poorly we did a lot of analysis and could see why we redid their whole thing, went and did, and they came back with 230 plus leads, conversations, the beginnings of a relationship, which would have, if, when we extrapolated out all of the, the figures, quite a significant impact on their business, a very positive impact on their business. And delivering that from idea to, to, to actually execution, to then working on that on a, in, a, in an industry that I've never worked in before, that was, I think that's probably my biggest commercial success on that one. I think my my own my my personal biggest success for me is that I've been known as the exhibition master for three years. I came onto the scene with really nothing. I've done lots of other things. I've worked in exhibitions and I've worked in particular areas. And the conversations that I was having with event 
directors and event managers meant that I knew I was on the right track and I was talking a lot of sense. So I think my big, my, the, the, the biggest personal success is the fact that when I go to some of the shows where some of my competitors are, I suppose you call them, but they're not really, is that we make a beeline for each other to then go and have a conversation to talk about our industry and I'm accepted as a person I, I'm that that in in the same sentence as these other as these other kind of guys that are doing it and they're powerhouses in the industry there's a, a, a couple of them do lots of international things some of them do international sales they've been doing it for an excess of 20 years they really know what they're doing and to be mentioned in the same sentence as those two is a kind of a real compliment for me and so yeah it's i'd say that that's my personal that's my personal thing which leads to a whole other kind of thing you shouldn't compare yourself to others and we all have different niches but to be actually then said oh you need him or them or that and and, and we're all in the same thing is really is really great for me and it's also incredible to be collaborating with them just Absolutely. to pick their brains to learn from mm. them to actually you might you might do it slightly differently but mm. at least you're you're aware of what everybody else is doing yeah. and what everybody else is is kind of planning so yeah and and, and it's what what that so one of them focuses a lot in terms of engagement and booths and he's actually gone down the CIPD route and he's and he's fantastic with that but he does a lot of international stuff and so and that's not me yet the the other does a lot of sales training and actually sales training for for event companies and that's not me my niche is actually taking new exhibitors and then making them better or taking them from the tabletop style expo to London Excel or an industry an event and that kind of thing because there's a huge step up the small table ones that you get like like the the like the chamber of commerce type ones or the the business group type ones or there was one recently here in Milton Keynes your business expo which was excellent I might add where you have a tabletop and then you have the pull up the, the, the pull up style banners you can make a huge difference if you approach that correctly those small ones tend to be a, a lot lower cost so there is less risk involved but you should still put the same amount of effort when you go from one of those to a stand in in london excel the very the cheapest one i've ever seen in terms of a decent sized exhibition has been still four figures so like 1500 quid and for some that's nothing but for a small one two three person company that's doing well all of a sudden their their, their marketing budget needs to expand quite significantly and, and how do they get the return on that and and how do they understand where and how to get the return on that and that's kind of where exhibition mastery comes in that's where the whole approach and, th and the thinking comes in as to you're doing this and yes it might well be your pop-up shop for the day but unless you are selling something that someone can hand your credit card over to that it's part of that sales cycle and part of that strategy and that's where and that's where it is, is really vitally important. And that's where I niche into it. I also work a lot with artisans, people who actually create amazing things, um, but they don't necessarily have the same level of expertise when it comes to then setting up and merchandising themselves and then selling at an artisan market or a specific trade fair or a vintage fair or somewhere like that. And because all of those things have, are, are important. And again, it then leads you to going to some of the bigger ones at some of the bigger halls where you've got turnover, sorry not turnover, footfall in, in, the, in the tens to hundreds of thousands as opposed to 
a few hundred people walking through a door. No. So what's the best stand you've seen? I guess I guess this also comes into budgets. So oh. small stand, and then we'll go for big stand. I suppose it's a bit narcissistic to say that my own stand. No. So the best stands that I've seen. Stand success is not just based on a stand. It's not just based on the physical stand. I've seen people do incredibly well with pull-ups, with the, with the pull-up banners, the, the little cassettes, you then pick them up type of thing. And, and well-designed pull-ups are cost-effective, and if you've got the right approach on the stand, it doesn't even matter. I've seen awful, awful, stand behaviours on stands that have cost in excess of a hundred thousand pounds I wow yeah um, it, now that was that was actually I think the the, the the aha moment of watching that going I, I know how much this cost why are they wasting their time and I think that was my the aha moment the, the best type of physical stand for me is one that either has as, as, as a lighted backdrop and this is budget again is a lighted backdrop so that when you've got because light attracts people just like light and again it needs to be well designed or one that's got lots that's got moving images in it it's because again what you're looking to do on a stand is attract people to come in so as they approach they kind of know what's going on and if it's if it's bright you can then go on there actually no best stand i've ever worked on i've actually got it champagne fire truck at london wine fair an actual fire truck in the middle serving champagne it became the center the de facto center of the of the of, of the exhibition and people were coming around and they were saying where should we meet oh let's meet by the fire truck let's meet all of this so and uh, yeah the champagne fire truck is oh, for, for stand presence you really can't get anything better in all honesty it, um, and it, it's a big differentiator especially if you're walking around a big show like that yeah all the stands are the same technically yeah you've got a fire truck so absolutely absolutely and that was recently yeah that was may or june so early june and i was called in as a last minute thing for that because the the rich reynolds who runs the the champagne fire truck called me up and said i've done what you I've done what you said you shouldn't do and i've actually said yes to a supposedly to a, to a good deal and i've done it last minute and i'm like right okay how can I help? And so I ended up, I, I worked, I, I actually went on and worked while they were serving champagne because they were teamed up with a, a champagne provider. I then actually then looked at the fire truck as how do, we, how do we sell this as an exhibition? How do we do this without necessarily using a fire truck because it would have been double booked? How do, we, how do we make this better? How can we put across what the events that the fire truck does? So they do public events, we do private events, they do it's great if you're doing like a huge significant party having that turn up i mean the 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 the, the ladders become the gazebo the the old pumps are actually on the top of the 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 old tank which is the top of the bar i mean it's a fantastic thing it really is amazing you buy a, you buy a bottle you buy a magnum you get to ring the bell you buy a methuselah you get to ring the bell and put the lights and put the the the, height, the sirens and all of that kind of stuff i mean it's a, it's, a, it's a real event. And so the event side of things, which has actually got really, really sorted and it's, and, it is, and it's brilliant. And in terms of actually using, trying to then hybrid those things around, okay, how can we make, 
how can we then use those events as an exhibition at the same time and that's where we're that's where i was there to then look at so there's some there's some recommendations and things that we're actually then we're working through that will that will roll out over the next i'd say 12 months or so yeah google it it's hilarious it's brilliant absolutely brilliant definitely would recommend googling it Hmm. Uh, you've also then got the band yeah my band i'm gonna try and pronounce it eclectics eclectics yeah the eclectics yeah the eclectics band yeah how often do you do that we haven't done that much this year for various different reasons but we've got a gig coming up in um the beginning of september um this year we'll have some christmas coming up we've got bookings ready for next year so we, we try and do one or two a month it's a fun thing really um two of our musicians are professional musicians and so i mean it's like aligning planets trying to then right can we have a practice no you're on tour okay all right i've got this gig thing no you you're on and you're on tour you're both on tour with each other no separate tours okay fine this could be a challenge but yeah so so we do it we we get together as often as we can and and for me it's like proper release it's we go and do a gig we come to the end of it depending on who's organized it then all of a sudden if there's a little bit of money that if we get some money that comes in because obviously we've paid function band it's kind of like oh we got paid for this as well fantastic <laughs> so but i mean these we, we do we're, we're a five-piece lineup the collective's been going on for quite a while but we've had a change in people as they've kind of moved on our original singer and guitarist actually emigrated to spain and now they're doing their own thing down there and they're, they're fantastic and we're all friends so it's really great got the the new guitarist new singer in the 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 drummer was new as well at the time so we just kind of we just carried it on and and we just like to have fun we're just high energy and so like i said about beyonce and sasha fierce earlier is when i get on there and the bass goes on and then we start playing it's something that just happens and then the world sort of disappears around and get completely lost in music I, I guess that's another another stage to be on mm. that people are looking at and again that that sounds like hell to me sounds intimidating and mm. sounds quite scary mm. so. yeah I've, we've played so some of the biggest stages we've played we played we've done a few christmas light switch-ons over did a couple of christmas light switch-ons in aylesbury um, and that was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. We did the fireworks night in Aylesbury as well, and that was that was a huge load of people and very cold. That wasn't overly fun, if I'm honest. We the 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 Betsy Wynn used to have the the in Swanbourne used to have the Swanbourne Music Festival, and one year they had scouting for girls, and we supported them. That was our first year of doing it. We we were voted as as one of the festival favourites. Wow. So they invited us back to be effectively the headline of the, the more the local bands, the more of the tribute acts, the, the up and comings, before you get the two main ones, which they actually like properly paid for. And that was the Zootons. And that was 2019. 2019, extremely hot day. Um, and we go, we go up there and just to see people literally run towards the front of the stage when you're up there, there's... there's a little bit of something around like this is just so cool and you get a heck of a buzz on it but we rocked it and absolutely rocked it and loved it and that that stage and that performance and having that that large stage with so many people that are singing along with what you're with what you're doing 
and there's a lot of there was a lot of our fans there and they know some of the things that we do with, with how we combine songs and so when we got to the end of it they were singing along with us we could hear them just as much as we could hear ourselves in terms of the back line so yeah that was that was amazing and then obviously covid hit that feeling must be incredible just hearing hearing them sing your song back to yeah. you we were a covers band so it wasn't something we'd written it was it was a covers but what we tended to what we tend to do is like mash mash the songs up we'll go into one into another and into another so one song might last 10 minutes but there's four different songs in it right and and how we changed and transitioned them was was just really good we've, we've got some incredibly talented musicians with us and doing it so yeah so so yeah so it's since covid and since coming back it's been we did a couple and it's just been a bit bit more tricky a bit more difficult people were scared initially because of the, the crowd thing and now people are again getting into that they're, they're liking that live aspect of it they're going to have a wedding they'll keep budget aside to make sure they've got live music as djs if you get a good dj i mean they're, they're, they're fantastic but you can't really beat live music because even with the little mistakes it's the little imperfections that make it perfect and the interactivity when you've got in a band we're energetic our lead singer Anna at the moment she's from the Philippines and she, uh, I don't know what armour she puts on but we then kind of talk and then we kind of go on and it's kind of like firecracker absolute firecracker and we just go we just go completely nuts on stage really so but yeah it's great the, uh, the, 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 the drummer is one of his other bands is, is a very heavy metal band called This Dying Hour and it's like double bass drums lots of things on there and he's an exceptionally gifted drummer and listen to that and I just think of him he's doing all of these double bass roles and all of this kind of stuff and then he comes comes to our practice and he's playing something like Bruno Mars or Stevie Wonder and it's just a different thing it's just it's just hilarious but we're, we're really passionate about what we do we love what we do and, and I think that comes across and it comes across it definitely comes across with other bands that just are good at what they do and because I love playing the bass, because I love doing all of this kind of stuff, I really want people to have a good time. And you feed off energy. And if you give the energy out, they'll give the energy back. And you end up with this ever-increasing cyclone of energy till the end of the night. It's like, thank you very much and good night. And it's kind of like, now we're exhausted. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that kind of down at the end of, oh my God, it's over, must be strange as well. The, the following day yes and it depends on how good and how big the the and how great fun that that was the night before that adrenaline high because the higher you get the lower you then fall um and yeah coming back to reality is with a bump you're not a rock star you don't have an rv there's not a bunch of brogies on there when you get home you still got to unpack the stuff and put it back and wherever it goes and by the way the washing up needs doing and there's we still got to put the the, the drying's now done and all that kind of stuff so the, the 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 down can be quite can be quite fierce uh, we did an 80s gig for bucks radio over in aylesbury and actually that was we had a fantastic night everyone was really up for it the whole crowd was really up for it we even had the dj come and actually do a couple of verses of one particular song at the end and uh, then when we stopped the next day i literally couldn't pull my head off my, my pillow not because i was tired i was shattered but it's just kind of like oh god <laughs> i can't can't deal with normality so <laughs> Okay, I'm going to come back to the business. Yeah. Do so. I'll talk about the band forever. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> where, where do you see yourself? 
Now? When? In the future. All right. Where are you going? So, I have, I'd have an exit plan, as in an exit idea. I'd say as go far as it's a plan. I wouldn't necessarily have developed it into a strategy yet. Ideally, what I what I want to do is have is develop the business to such a degree that I'm working with a number of exhibitors and I've got a, a huge list of people who exhibit and and it's going to be a tangible asset for a large event company to then go right well we can buy exhibition mastery and it would be lovely if that's the case there you go here's a hundred million pounds go and buy yourself an island and, and we've got all of the rest of it and it will be a case of a and the, the, the aim, like I said, it's plan, not strategy, is for it to be turnkey. So it's a case of, right, okay, we're done, we've got this. There is X million people that we've actually got in terms of customers or, or interested people or something like this. There is an opportunity for you here to then buy that. There's the key. Give me the money. There you go. And, and so that's the, that's the ultimate aim. Yeah. Like I said, developing the strategy to do that it's a learning process for me at the moment coming back here in the next five years i want to have the i want to be i want to have people working with me i want to go international mainly america um americans love their exhibitions they are pretty good at them from my understanding i've got to go out there and actually visit a few I've got friends in Vegas and Vegas and Vegas and LA and San Diego. They're sort of like the, a lot of the conference centers there. It's kind of like Grand Central. I mean, Vegas has the CES, it's got SEMA, it's got Comic Con, it's got all of those different kind of things. It's pretty much center. And I've got a friend out there that does actually go along and he does a lot of the, the business ones around cyber and all of that. And he says that there's always loads of giveaways, but there's not really, it's very, very salesy, it's very, very hard. It's not necessarily great there's prob there is a there's there's a market out there for it and i know that is because there's other people that are actually out there selling selling exhibition services so so yeah so it's a little bit it's 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 a little bit vague at the moment We're kind of in operational mode at the moment covid wasn't kind to us as 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 a, as an individual as a business and as a family and we're still recovering really i suppose we've got the hangover of covid where it's one of those hangovers that you kind of you don't realize that it's such quite a hangover it's actually taking a couple of days it happens as you get older it takes a couple of days to recover as opposed to just a morning and a and a, and a, and a greasy breakfast and so we're still we're still finding that there's been other issues again personal life around health in family and all of this and, and when you are on your own sometimes those goals it's kind of like yes today is the day except i've just got to sort that out because that's blown up in my face and i wasn't expecting that and that's really important I need to do because otherwise none of this matters if I don't deal with that yeah. and so and I think that's where, where that that is for me is in in ultimately what I want to be able to do is actually choose what I want to do with the business whether or not I have to sell it or carry on in it I love what I do so what do they say you find do what you love and you never work a day in your life or something so yeah and it's just a case of just consistently building that to, to get to a point where I can then choose, right, I've saved enough, made enough, done enough, invested enough, can I sell it? Do I have to close it? What do I do? I want to retire. So I want to finish up. I want to go 
elsewhere. I want to buy a farm with my family and then we're going to do a small holding thing. I want to buy land in southern Spain so I can then do something else down there. Whatever I want to do, I don't know. There's a, there's, my bucket list is huge. But yeah. Time to start ticking it all off then. Yeah, well, we did Hawaii as a, as a holiday. We done. Uh, we went over to see my friends, Spain, uh, friends in Spain for our, my wife's and I had twenty fifth anniversary. Um, thank you, and and that was great. I learned Spanish to be able to then actually cope with the fact that I was in another country, which was just. I don't understand why, why, if we go to another country, we expect people to speak English. We, we just shout louder at them. I, I oh. <laughs> <laughs> There, there was an episode in a, in a, in a, in one of the, the plazas that when we went out to dinner one evening, where there was it was an English family, and that's exactly what they did, and all of a sudden, all four of us, I mean, the guys we went to see, she's fluent, he's not so much, but he can certainly hold his own. All of a sudden, all four of us were fluent in Spanish, even the accents. We weren't, <laughs> we know we weren't from England at all. We are not associated with them whatsoever. It was embarrassing, and and I think we should make more of an effort to be able to learn other languages even if we don't go and visit the place because it does wonderful things to your brain it's like learning music it opens up your ability to learn and intake stuff I'd I'd love to do it but I have to say I'm one of the people that that only know English bar a GCSE in German um, but I've never actually properly used that Mm. but you've got a fundamental knowledge there so if you were to then go into Germany you would still be able to say please thank you sorry I don't know much German can you help me please yeah Uh, um, I could probably I can pick up keywords in a conversation and things like that to a degree I could get the gist of what they're saying I couldn't probably tell you exactly what they were saying and yeah no I I do get that German German is a lovely language and it is it is very very expressive as well and so if you can get the gist of it then that's fantastic but you download i mean i I learned spanish from duolingo from from almost nothing my brother-in-law is married to a spanish lady so it's kind of i need to learn it (laughs) so and she she was over this week actually and we were having a conversation things and i was throwing responses back in spanish and she was like good lord I'm like, yes, I can speak it with someone. I can speak it with someone. Which is the challenge of being in England and learning a, a, um, a language if you're trying to do it off your own back and not going to a course. So Yeah. yeah. What we do, I've got uh, the Diary of the CEO cards. I don't know if you've, you've heard it. But basically, they, have a, they ask a question at the end of every right. episode and they're all written down. So okay. I've got a list of, well, I've got, I've got about 50 cards here. Okay. 60 cards. We're going to pick one at random right. and we'll do one each. All right. So I'll let you go first. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so this is from Jay Shetty, and the question is: What is something people value that you no longer value? Am I answering that, or are you answering no. that? Um. Uh, I'm happy to take that one if you, you, want. you t- I, I'm still thinking of this one because there is something that I'm just trying to figure out how to word it because I, I almost I'm, I don't want to be hypocritical but it's like posh cars okay okay I really I'm a petrol head I really like cars I mean if I could have an Aston Martin I'd have an Aston Martin but I don't value that as much as in terms of a status symbol now as i as i once did so if people have got nice cars for me it's not a case of oh wow what have you done it's just a case you have a nice car 
and if they have a nice car it means that they've worked hard to get it i'd imagine that they've actually done something they've sacrificed to get it and so the value of of the of of nice things is now not my judgment of them as a person it's actually just accepting that they've must have there's been a journey to get that to to actually achieve that because unless you inherit the money yeah. then you've still got to make it so i think that that's the the, the the value of it is no longer it's just a nice car it's the how did you get that what did you do what were the things that you did what was the work that you did what were the sacrifices that you needed to get and that's that's the that's the change in value for me um, mm-hmm. I still I still have an Aston Martin for sure but I want to but I do want to earn it so if I won it in a competition I had no qualms in saying I won it in a competition I was going to say if you were given one you probably still wouldn't turn it away no but but expensive cars have expensive maintenance and I think that's the other thing in terms of wisdom as well you can have yourself a 6 litre V12 with Aston Martin and that's great but it doesn't do that many miles to the gallon servicing is four figures on most parts and actually tyres brakes all of that kind they still go wrong fundamentally it's still a car and yeah. it's an Aston Martin, so it's there is an there is a, an additional cost of that one. So yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with one then. I'm going to go with this one. Why do you do what you do? Oh, that was Ben Francis from Gymshark. Why do you do what you do? I love helping people. Mm. My biggest biggest thing in I, I, I said to a friend when I first started out what what was I doing it for and and actually it took me a while to kind of understand it but I want I wanted to be a mentor Mm. and I wanted to make people happy so it was a big thing about letting people achieve if they want to be a millionaire I want to get them there Mm. so if they want to if they want to grow their business they want to achieve what they want to achieve actually the role I play isn't just giving them the numbers mm. it's giving them that satisfaction it's allowing them to achieve whatever it is your, your business is your baby mm. you know if I can if I can support it and I can help you get to that place that you want to get to then I've completed my job and that's that's why I do it there's actually I'm not a big fan of tax I'm not a big fan of numbers to a degree mm. I, the numbers are used in an analytical way to to learn and grow it's a tool isn't it you use those things as a tool to get to your outcome and, exactly. it, and it's the same and I think people can get too um, embedded in the detail of it that that's, that's the be all and end all and it's not it's everything is a tool from that it's the same thing with um, exhibitions they are a tool to get to a does do exhibitions fit into that overall goal of what you're trying to achieve and that's where that's kind of where I, st- I start from and it's again okay well, how do we make that really work for you how is is this the best route for you if it isn't let's not do that actually what you need is a really good accountant that's got a kind of a wide view thing you need to speak with david first before we then start talking about exhibitions this is the bit you need to get right david can help you um and then I can help you and and it's and it's yeah and it's that kind of thing I think there's also a difference as well is you can always tell the businesses where people love what they do um, and it comes from a passion basis I think as Simon Sinek said what is your why yeah um, and if you understand you said something there that actually made me go yeah it's that it took me a while to figure it out 
and it does because you might have this great idea and you understand it and there's the difference between an output and an outcome and if you, your output is I'm going to make loads of money that's an output an outcome is I've helped people achieve their their own personal goals then that, that, that you've helped them achieve their outcomes and your outcome kind of evolves with that as well so yeah you can always tell those when you're speaking with people the people that are really passionate about what they do sometimes they don't make good business people because they're really good at that particular point and passionate about it and the rest of the business side of thing gets left behind yeah and i know a lot of people and i can probably put my hand up in that uh, that part as well that that says yeah that's me right. i guess that's the bit i try and help help fix yeah. okay i mean right. it's been been pretty good thank you for coming on and we're going to close it there. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, please like and follow and make sure to tag us on social media.